We're back into 1 Corinthians this morning um, into our series. One, one of the themes that um, I've been talking about during this series in 1 Corinthians, um, amidst this whole topic of biblical clarity and having it, is these new realities of the post-Christian culture that we're in and the danger of the church being taken over by the norms of culture. And, and I think, you know, in the past few generations, we generally, we've kind of looked at the church and we've seen this, the church as sort of this beacon of biblical truth that we all kind of generally, despite some of our theological differences and despite some of the, the, the ways we look at different things, we all kind of held to, this was the biblical truth that we held to. And we would even think like, These, this is the biblical truth that my friends hold to. This is what the church kind of holds to. And we kind of took that for granted in the last, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, whatever it is. And that is not the case anymore. Things are rapidly changing and they continue to change at a rapid pace in our society. And the reality of cultural tolerance in the church, the embracing of the norms of the culture is much different than even it was a few years ago, even five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. It's very, very different. We're living in the midst of a fundamental change in the landscape of the church, that, of, our, well, of our culture, and it's infecting the church and influencing the church. And so that's part of the reason why we feel this weight on looking at 1 Corinthians and this whole thing of biblical clarity and cultural confusion that's happening. Two weeks ago, there was a, an extensive article that came out that revealed that uh, Christian comedian John Christ, who has been very well known in evangelical circles, um, had been engaged in sexual behavior and inappropriate relationships, several of them, um, that he actually, when it came out, he admitted were sinful and he admitted were deceitful. And um, it's just, it's kind of just blown up here in the last couple of weeks. And, and, and what the details revealed, tragically, was that this had been going on for years. And people even close to Chris, they knew on some level at least what was happening. And yet it was sort of hidden. It wasn't really being talked about. It continued. There was lots of examples of his um, that have come out where his behavior is just completely at odds with his public image that he was putting forth. And... It's hard to make sense of these sorts of things until you realize that it was due to a very unhealthy level of tolerance for sin. And there's this unhealthy level of tolerance for sin in our culture, in the church, and we just kind of, we don't talk about it. And the reality is we're looking more and more and more like the world around us, the church as a whole, than actually living in the righteousness of Jesus. See, like the stuff, the stuff surrounding John Chris, the reason it comes out and it becomes such a big deal is simply because he's got a really big public image and he's well-known. But the stuff that's happening with him, it's happening all over the place. It, it just comes out because it's John Chris. See, and, we, and, we, and we like to, I'm not trying to at all harp on John Chris at all. See, the point is that it's, it's big news because of who he is, but it should cause us to go, are we willing to ask the hard questions of ourselves in the church? Why is stuff like this happening? And this, this happens to relate to where we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians 5. And uh, 
1 Corinthians 5, Paul is addressing some pretty nasty stuff in the church. Um, last chapter, he was, he was talking about the ugliness of pride and judging in the church and how that was happening. And now he starts to go into specific sin that was present in the church. So I've, I've titled this morning, The Danger of Tolerance. What we, what we find here is Paul, he's shining a light on patterns of living that were being tolerated in the church. They were happening, people knew that they were happening, and no one was talking about it. And so, let's, uh, before we go any further, let's, let's open our Bibles, let's read 1 Corinthians 5, and let's read this wonderful chapter that Paul is shining a light on. So 1 Corinthians 5, it'll be on the screen behind me um, if you don't have your Bibles. He says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though I am absent, or sorry, for though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those inside the church whom you are to judge. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. You can see where this is like he's addressing really nasty stuff in the church that was happening. I was uh, earlier this year. I, I took a seminary course at uh, at Prov, and as part of the course that we were in, there was this discussion about the Apostle Paul and this new movement that I, I actually at this point I hadn't heard about, but this new movement within theological circles to question his character and to discredit Paul. And actually, our Prof, when when this was brought up, our Prof acknowledged that this is happening. Um, in, at the college level at Prov and in a lot of other circles where this is, this is a growing movement. And passages like this that we just read and other stuff in 1 Corinthians, it doesn't pair well with our secular, pluralistic society at all. And if, if, so if we can discredit 
the Apostle Paul, then we can question what he wrote and we can disregard then what's not palatable to the culture. If you can begin to discredit him, well then, what he wrote here and other stuff that he wrote, it just, it doesn't matter. Just don't, you don't have to pay attention to it. The guy wasn't trustworthy. He's not credible. Think about, think about that happening in theological circles on a wide level and think about that beginning to permeate and infect the church. Think about what that begins to do to holding to biblical truth and what it begins to do in our thinking and the way that we look at things. So before I get into the text this morning, what I want to do is I want to provide a framework for why I believe Paul is being so strong in his rebuke here. And he is, he's being really, really strong. And show how closely this relates to our present culture. And then I, I wanna, then I wanna bring it to a personal level for us. Because if we're not careful, we can keep this whole thing, this whole discussion at a level where, uh, of engagement, where this applies to the, the church, but it doesn't touch our lives. It doesn't touch the state of our heart. And we'll, we'll draw on things and go, well, yeah, that over there, that over here, but what is, what is happening here? Earlier in the letter, Paul, he, he reminded the Corinthians, don't you know that God's spirit dwells in you? Like, do you realize what dwells in you? God himself is in you, dwelling inside of you. That's not something to move on from quickly. That's not something to read that and go, oh, that's, that's something that is so central to God's redemptive plan for his people. The very presence of God resided in the holy of holies. You couldn't even touch it. And Paul says, that now, that dwells in you. That's in you now. That, that presence of God that was so holy, so unbelievably holy in you. It's sacred. It dwells in us. The presence of God within us and, and in our midst, it's, it's meant to be central to how we live our lives and experience the Lord. This is what we are contending for when we speak of renewal in our lives. We're contending for this presence. So a stirring for biblical clarity, when, when we talk about this thing of biblical clarity, it could also be communicating as this, pursuing God's presence for his church. That Paul's, it's all throughout 1 Corinthians, the pursuit of God's presence, the reality of God's presence dwelling in us, dwelling in the church, manifesting itself, us experiencing this presence. I, I really believe that speaks to the heart behind Corinthians and why Paul is being so strong in his rebuke on some of this stuff. Paul was contending with the people for authentic, genuine, engaged faith in the people that pursued God's presence. Go after it. Don't you know God's spirit dwells in you? Go after that presence. God's heart, his desire and expectation is that we are abiding. We're living connected in him. The, the pursuit of God's presence is so foundational to your life. It's where true freedom is found. It's where freedom is found and experienced. 
And, and, and I say that because being in Christ is about life with God. We're, we're, you are meant to dwell close to God. Psalm 1. We're meant to be like trees planted by streams of water, going deep into the nourishment of God. God nourishing us, sustaining us. Leaves that don't wither. Our, our lives are just this abundance of God's presence in us. Jesus says, John 15, you're supposed to abide in me, connected to the vine, abiding, being nourished by me. So the way of Jesus, following this way of Jesus, is following a way of life. And Jesus actually gives us mental maps to follow, if you will. All of us have mental maps in which we, we function out of. Jesus is saying, I give you mental maps. The word of God gives you the mental maps out of which to live. This being immersed, nourished, directed by the word, driving us away from this hyper-individualism of culture that would say, you at the center, what you want, what you desire, what makes you feel good, that's not what Jesus calls us to. So specifically, what, what 1 Corinthians 1, or 1 Corinthians 5 does is, and, and the rest of the letter, is provide us with a biblical framework or a clarity for how to live different. How, how we reject what is largely seen as normative within culture and live differently for this pursuit of God's presence and this continual presence, this increase of it in our lives, that we are sustained by it, that we're living in it. So that's why we don't, we don't have to shy away from texts like this. We don't, we don't have to you know, go, oh, I, don't, I don't really want to get into that. Let's, not, let's just not talk about that. Because we want to welcome the, the refining work of God's light in us and in the church. Because we want more of his presence. And we, we want to go after that. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on this thing of presence. And, and you, I'm coming back to it week in and week out. Because our Western system is focused on and really obsessed with progress without presence. We want all the progress, but we have, we have no desire in our culture for the presence of God. There's no understanding that that's what we need. We, we believe that we can just achieve this unlimited progress while rejecting this need for God's presence. That's, and that's the system all around us that's failing. That's the system all around us that's leading people into brokenness, into addiction, into all sorts of lostness because it's progress without presence. But the reality is, in the midst of this, is that we're, we're living in a culture that has the ability to shape us at very deep levels. It can begin to shape us in very real ways and deceive us while it's doing it. And that's why, so status quo is so dangerous. Just allowing life to happen to us breeds this spiritual apathy within us. So renewal is an intentional pursuit because there's this anti-renewal work, this machine at work in our culture. So being content with consumer Christianity, treating Christianity faith like a goods and services is, is really dangerous for us 
Because culture will just, it, we, we are infected by culture. I don't, and I don't know if maybe you're sensing this, but the church has reached in many ways a point of cultural crisis. That's where the church is finding itself. And, and we're in this, this moment, and, and who knows how long this moment will last, but it's a, a moment of a renew or decline moment. Will you seek the renewal of the Holy Spirit, or will you begin to just decline with the rest of culture and this descent into more and more godlessness? Paul, Paul saw the danger of what was happening in Corinth, this, this melding with culture at the expense of God's presence. He was seeing this happen in the Corinthians, saying, like, like, how is this happening amongst you? And he's saying, don't you know God's spirit dwells in you? Pursue the presence of God. And then he talks there in the, in the first few chapters of this, this thing of the kingdom of God. It's not about talk. It's, not, it's about power. It's about the power of God at work within us. So, let's bring it down to a personal level. That's, that's really what we need. We need to bring it down to a personal level for our lives. If you're desperate for more of God's presence in your life, if you're going, I, I want more of God's presence, I know that I need more of God's presence in my life. I want to I give us three ways that we can be intentional in pursuing God's presence in our lives and in the midst of us. So number one, assess where you are. Paul, he shifts in chapter 5 here to address the specific situation of sexual immorality that was happening in the church. Really, um, it, was, it was being ignored. It was being sort of covered up by the church. They didn't mention it to him. He heard about it. It said, he said, it was reported to me. So it comes to Paul, and they're, they're being arrogant about it. He's like, stop, like, stop being arrogant about it. And it, and it was, even by cultural standards at the time, Paul's saying, it's like, it's, it's so wrong. It's disgusting. Like, what is, what's happening with this man and his, his mother-in-law? But what Paul does over the course of this chapter, he's confronting the bigger issue of sin being present and overlooked within the church body. The, the man sleeping with his mother-in-law, that, that was just the worst of the lot. That was just the worst case that was happening, he brings that to light. But there was lots of Corinthian culture being embraced by the church. Sexual promiscuity, obsession with wealth and affluence, disregard for the poor, he talks about that later. There's, there's just this litany of stuff that's happening in, with the Corinthians and, he, and it's just there, but it's not being talked about. When I was, when I was around 15 or so, we, uh, we had a couple in our church that were, were youth leaders at the time uh, they, they were running one of our youth home groups and I was in their group. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, some stuff started to happen and, and it came out that the husband had begun having an affair on his wife. And, uh, and then he was confronted by it, uh, confronted with it. Um, he refused to repent and, and didn't want to seek restoration and it was, it was weird for us, uh, kind of being teenagers, because it wasn't all shared with us, but there was enough stuff going on that we knew what was happening. And we were old enough to, and I was kind of close to the situation because of being connected with some people. 
But it was, it was, it was bad, and, and it was really ugly for the church. And the church actually got to the point where they actually publicly removed him from the church because he refused to walk in repentance. And so there was publicly some stuff that happened in hopes, in hopes that he would be restored. And I, I don't really know all the details of what led to the affair, but stuff like that, it, it doesn't just happen. It's not like all of a sudden one time, that, like there's stuff that is going on underneath the surface. There's a bunch of choices. There's a bunch of warnings along the way. Same with this stuff happening in Corinth. There was, there was tolerance for sin that had taken root in the church and wasn't being dealt with, isn't being talked about. There was a disconnect in the lives of the people. I, I can engage and participate in activities and, li- and a lifestyle choices that are sinful and I can believe that I can remain in Christ. This was the deception that Paul was saying, church, no way. Like that, that is not, that can't happen. And the point, one of the points I think that we need to take from this is tolerance, no matter how small it is in our lives, is dangerous. It's really deadly because it restricts God's presence amongst us. It removes our passion for Jesus. It takes away our burden for the lost. Lack of desire and passion for God in our lives, it can actually be traced back to tolerance for sin in our lives. When when we have brokenness in our lives, it calls us to seek more of God's presence for our lives. And we talk about responding in love and with equal parts of truth and grace, and that's, that's important. But when, when grace becomes an excuse not to deal with sin, you get chapters like this. And the ch- Paul's saying, Corinthians, don't keep letting this go on. Theologians, they've, some of them have suggested that the reason behind this boasting of the Corinthians that Paul addresses and says, stop it, is because the church was, was sort of celebrating this tolerance for sin in their midst and sort of saying, well, it's, you know, we've got love and grace. And, and Paul says this, this boasting, this, this prideful acceptance, celebrating sin, he says, it's not, it's not good. Because what's at stake is the dwelling of God's presence in you. Where there's brokenness and its effects, Paul's saying there's wholeness and there's healing that's needed. That's why he's talking like he is about this, this man so forcefully. There's, there's healing that's needed for him. And it, it's so scary how compartmentalized our society is increasingly becoming. The, the temptation to believe, the soothing lie that you can come and you can worship on Sunday you can have soul ties to other things in your lives going on on the side. You can come and you can worship on Sunday, no big deal. That's dangerous. Really, really dangerous. Because God wants all of us. He wants all of you so that he can fill you with his presence. This, and, and this thing of 
believing, like I can live with compartments in my life, like there's a compartment over here or a compartment over there that I can have that God really, I, I, don't, I don't need God to touch that. I, I don't want God to touch that. That deception where we can allow sin in particular areas of our lives and, and we can keep it controlled and, and contained and we can't do that. You ever heard of, of the, the term giving a foothold to Satan? How many of you have heard of that, giving a foothold? I want to I demonstrate what a foothold is. Can I get one volunteer? One volunteer who's willing to be a volunteer. Jake, you want to be a volunteer? Okay. I want to I demonstrate here what a foothold is. So, when you get a foot in a door, do you want to be on the other side or do you want me to be on the other side, Jake? Do you want to be on the other side? All right. Okay. Now, I want to, can you see this? Anyone see this? Now, if, <laughs> that's right. So, if, if the door's closed, but if you give a foothold, if we give a foothold to someone, Jake, I want you to try and close this door. Close it. No. Get, push on it all you can. I want you to push on it. Uh-oh. Really push. Now, that's starting to hurt my foot a little bit. But, but he's not. Are you able to close the door? No. Do you have confidence that you're going to be able to close the door? Yeah, somehow, but... Then you think so? No. Try to, put, try to close. One more time. Give, try to really close that door. Not it's not, not happening, is not it? <laughs> Thank you. That's right. <laughs> Thank you. That, that was all that was, was my foot. That's it. Now, perhaps there's someone out there that if they, they could probably maybe forcefully push enough, it might break my foot. But the point is that once that door is open and you've got a foothold in there, it's very, if not impossible, to close that door. When we've given a foothold to Satan in our lives, this is what Paul's getting at in the church. Corinthians, you think it's okay what's going on. You think that you can just allow this to continue. I have, there's access to the rest of our lives. There's a pretty big gap in that door where now stuff can get through. All sorts of stuff. Oh, I can, I can just keep keep Satan, I can keep this stuff just in this part of my life. No, it's, it's going into the rest of the house. It's, it's flowing into the rest of the house. If you think of someone, if someone had a machine here and was blowing sawdust through that door and that door went into a house, you're not keeping that sawdust in one little area. It's going everywhere. We, we can view these verses actually as a healing invitation from the Lord to assess where we are. To be honest with ourselves where tolerance of sin is present in our lives. So that we can pursue the healing and the freedom that we need in Jesus.
That leads to the second way we can pursue God's presence in our lives and our midst. And that is be what you are. Be what you are. So to drive home this danger of tolerating and managing sin in our lives, Paul, he draws us back to this practice of Passover that speaks of this profound shift of renewal in our lives. At Passover, what happened is all the leaven in the house was removed for a week, seven days. All the leaven was, was removed from the house. Nothing was eaten in leaven for seven days. Hence the, the wonderful bread we have, matzah, that we call matzah that we eat, right? That's people eat. Nothing with leaven. Now the thing though is leaven wasn't just yeast. The leaven was a little portion left over from the previous bread every time that was then worked into the new loaf. And they kept the, this presence of leaven that kept just, so that every time you would get this consistency in the bread. So it's not just, it wasn't just yeast, it was actually a part of the old bread going into the new bread. And Passover, once a year, all that leaven in the house, all that leaven that was used was removed. And then they, then they started over. But it makes us, gives us this profound picture that Paul's using here to both warn and encourage the church. And the warning he is using is allowing sin in your life, even just that little bit of leaven, allowing that little piece of it, it affects the entirety of your life. It affects the entirety of the church, actually. Jess and I, we were, we were driving together this week. We were listening to a podcast, and I can't remember, something on the podcast made us think about, and we were talking about, do you remember when there was no Wi-Fi and no internet whatsoever in the world? Do you remember that? I lived in that those days. Like dark, gray, gloomy days of boredom. <laughs> no, but it wasn't, was it? It wasn't boring. Was it boring, jo Joyce? No, it wasn't. No. Like, I don't look back at my early life and go, oh, my, why, no Wi-Fi, no internet, no, no handheld devices. Oh, life was terrible. It's so dark and gray. No. Do, but understand that there's people that think that. That life without these little devices and life without internet and Wi-Fi would be awful. That's the shift that's transpired even in the last just 25 years. So think about this. The ability of the online world to shape your inner world is unparalleled right now in human history. And it's not a laughing matter because it's changing the inner world of people at alarming rates. And we are addicted Probably the biggest crisis that our nation would face is all of a sudden if somehow Wi-Fi was knocked out across the nation. There would be chaos. So there's an effect of all that on our spiritual health that don't disconnect that from what it's doing to your spiritual health and your passion for Jesus. Are you passionate for other things that are connected to Wi-Fi and the internet far more than you're connected to being passionate for Jesus? That's alarming. So this is where the pseudo-Christianity of lifestyle enhancement needs to be. We are so desperate for it to be replaced with the spirit-filled faith of biblical Christianity that we read of in the New Testament.
Where do we need to cleanse out the old leaven of culture that's in our lives? That's the warning. Here's the encouragement. Be what you are. You really are different. You really are completely new. Paul says, cleanse out the old leaven because you really are now unleavened. Why? Because Christ has come and died for you. Jesus has come. He is the sacrifice. He is the Passover lamb. All things are gone. All things are new. Be who you are. Corinthians, stop acting like you're living with the old leaven and live as new creatures of Christ Jesus because that's really what you are. But you're not living it. You are in Christ. You are made new. We are made new. Live in sincerity and truth. Stop living in evil and wickedness and allowing it to be in your life. Cleanse it out, Paul says. It's a forceful thing he's saying to the church. Do you realize who you are? You have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. All sin, all wickedness. We sang it this morning. Do you believe it? You're cleansed. Don't welcome and tolerate that presence of that sin and wickedness in your life. Live for the intentional pursuit of God's presence. Do you not know that God's spirit dwells in you? So this matters in our lives. It matters in the church. The sacrifice of Jesus calls us to live differently. It's the whole thrust of Hebrews 10. Jesus is the final sacrificial Passover lamb. There's no need for sacrifices anymore. You don't need to do it anymore. But don't... Keep meeting together. Keep encouraging one another as the day draws near. We need that. Keep holding to truth. Keep allowing others in the church to spur you to keep holding on to truth. Why? Because you need that as the day approaches. So being present and connected with the church affects your relationship with Jesus. It keeps you from elements of cultural Christianity that will justify you living for your selfish pursuits. We we are good at justifying. This leads us to the third way that we pursue God's presence. Sorry. Number three. Reveal how you are. So assess where you are Be what you are and reveal how you are. Many, many years ago, probably like, I don't know, probably like 12 years ago already or something like that, um, Starbucks, uh, there was a shift where they became very public about their celebration of gay pride. And they were sort of at the forefront of it, celebrating it as as a corporation, making it very well known. And I remember at the time, I was really, my, uh, my sense of justice kicked in and I was like, I'm not happy about this because I like Starbucks, but I don't like what they're doing. And so I, I, publicly, I was like, I'm going to stop supporting Starbucks. You imagine that? I said that. I'm going to stop supporting them. And I had a friend of mine who, he challenged me with these verses, verses 9 and 11, or verses 9 and 10 here. 
asking, he says, are you willing to assess all your consumer decisions with the same integrity? Are you willing to, like, do you realize how much ungodliness there is in the world? Are you going to do that with all of the stuff in the world? He made a compelling point. But we live in a culture that is celebrating and embracing just a host of things that Scripture says is sinful. And, and so, yeah, we need to be obedient to the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, absolutely. But we can't, you can't expect the world around you to live for righteousness. Actually, you, you shouldn't expect it. The Lord is actually going to be the one who's going to deal with the unrighteousness and the depravity in the world. We're not the ones who are responsible to be judging the wickedness of the world. The Lord's going to do that. But we're challenged here to be examining what is happening in the church, what is happening in our lives. The issue that Corinth had that that church was that they were unconcerned with the presence of sin in their midst. Whatever. Keep it, don't talk about it. There, there was avoidance of it. There was justification for it. There was boasting about it. it it's interesting because the beginning of chapter six, Paul sees Paul, he, he shifts and he begins to talk about these lawsuits that were happening among the believers in the church. So they were actually, there's members of the church that were taking others to, to the, before the Roman judges at the time, before the Roman courts. And Paul's saying, what are you doing? Like, you're taking, believers are taking believers before the, 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 the unrighteous world? Like what? He didn't understand that. And, and Paul, he straight up rebukes them. He says, do you realize what's coming? He says, as saints, we're going to be called to judge the world. You're going to be called as saints to actually be, just get your head around that. So, He's saying there to them, if that's what's coming, you certainly better be ready in this world to be keeping each other accountable. That's, that's what we need to be doing. So there might feel like there's a contradiction there. We're told not to judge those in the world, but then it says saints will judge the world. I think Paul's making a telling point the church is the place that prepares us for the world to come. There's, there's a model here for how we pursue relationship together. Because our culture of individualism will, it will push you to keep everything internal. Just keep it internal. Don't, don't deal with it. Don't let it out. Don't bring it into your life. No, there's no need to share your struggles. Keep it bottled up. See, think about this. Paul, he could have avoided this whole thing with this guy and his mother-in-law. It would have been far easier for him to just not, not touch it. The church certainly wasn't dealing with it. Avoidance is way easier than confrontation. Maybe, oh, unless, maybe we just go into social media and we post something on social media that way. But Paul, Paul knew that this, this practice of tolerating sin not addressing it, pretending it didn't exist. It meant the absence of God's presence. He's basically saying to the Corinthians, stop pretending. 
So, folks, I, I, I don't know. I, I think across the Western church right now, there is a huge struggle when it comes to being open, honest, and vulnerable with one another. Because our culture doesn't model it. Our culture doesn't want it. And we, we struggle with it in the church. And sadly, it keeps us from dealing with the stuff that God wants us to be free of. So, who asks you how you're doing? Like, really asks you how you're doing? Who is able to ask you about personal things in your life? Who's able to speak into your marriage? Like, actually has permission to speak into your marriage or you feel like I will share about things not to like badmouth a spouse but actually because we want healing and we want wholeness and we want more of Jesus have we given someone permission to do this and and realistically i think some of us pursue this in our lives some of us we want to be open we want to pursue this and so we do this others we're less inclined to let others in. So who has access to help you live for Jesus, to help you deal with your sin, to help you with the challenges of life? Who has that access? Because we might read this, this whole thing as Canadian Christians, and be taken aback by how Paul responds to the sin of this guy. Like he was to be excommunicated, removed from fellowship. The whole thing of not eating with them, it was about, that's about communion. Paul's going, you, you, they need to be removed from actually taking communion with the body. We, we could look at all this and go, what about that guy's feelings? Like Paul's being really, really rude. But amidst all the avoidance and overlooking of this sin, Paul was the, the one that cared enough for that guy's soul. He cared enough about the sin that was happening and what was transpiring to go. He needs to be kept. The, hell is real. Punishment is real. And this guy is operating in sin. Corinthians, he needs restoration. Because we can we can be so tolerant and blasé about sin in our lives in the church. And, and I was reading this last night again and, I, and I, it really hit me like our souls are at stake. That's why Paul's doing what he's doing here. He's saying this, this guy's soul is at stake. Jesus says you can gain the whole world and it means zilch if you lose your soul. You can have people bow down, worship you, adore you. You can be, you can have wealth, affluence, all the recognition you want. You can, you can be heaped with praise. Jesus says you lose your soul. It means nothing. That, that really, really challenges me. So how are you with Jesus? How are you doing with overcoming sin in your life? How are you dealing with those areas in your life of character where you need healing? 
How are you growing and becoming more like Jesus? Who is speaking into your life and asking you the hard questions? The invitation here is to celebrate the feast together as new creations in Jesus. That's that's the invitation that Paul's putting to the Corinthians. Get rid of the sin. Guys, throw it out. Get rid of it. Be a body that walks together and pursues sincerity and truth. Not judgment towards one another. Not compromise to sinful culture. Not engaging in sinful culture. So we're going we're gonna to end. We're going to worship in a moment here. It's, it's fitting, I think, to fix our attention on Jesus after a message like this. After looking at text that is hard. This is hard and challenging stuff. But it's for the good of us. It's for the good of God saying, pursue Jesus. You really are unleavened. You really are new creations. It's really good for us in the midst of culture to go, Jesus, what do you want to do in us? Jesus, where do you want to bring healing to me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are so faithful. We thank you that you have sent Jesus so that we don't any longer have to deal with the the shame and the ugliness and the brokenness of sin and not be sure if we can ever really get out of it. Jesus, thank you that you have come, that you are truly the Passover lamb, that you have made us a new creation and your spirit dwells in us. Jesus, we thank you for that. Lord, help us to to be people who love one another enough that we're willing to be honest and vulnerable about where we're at and we're willing to receive from others. Jesus, help us to be like that. Help us to love one another and love you enough to do that. Lord, increase our love for one another. Lord, so that we truly are walking in sincerity and truth. Jesus, we thank you that you are faithful to do that. You are faithful to be at work in our midst. And we love you. Amen.